Awesome. And we are here for another episode of Geeking Cannabis. Thank you so much for joining me, BC. You were a wonderful teacher, probably my favorite at the Cleveland School of Cannabis. So I'm really excited to record this podcast with you. And why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, well, I feel so humbled, Lillian. Uh, such nice things to say about me. Uh, and I love, who doesn't love compliments just heaped in uh, upon them? Everyone loves compliments. Compliment people, uh, people. Give, uh, say nice words to fellow other humans. Uh, thank you for that very short, brief introduction, uh, and I will give you a much longer one. Uh, my <laughs> name is B.C. Wayman. Uh, I am uh, from Northeast Ohio, lived here most of my life, traveled around a bit, and I am currently, uh, I don't know, I'm a lot of things. Still trying to figure it out, uh, Lillian. Uh, you're much younger than me, but I just turned 47, actually, just a couple days ago, in, whenever this re ends up airing, but in mid-August, turned 47. Uh, still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up because I haven't quite made it there yet. Uh, but I do uh, where I met Lillian is uh, working at the Cleveland School of Cannabis uh, as an educator, focusing heavily on business, on operations. Uh, it's uh, evident from my past, right? I don't come from a heavy cannabis past. A lot of people that come into the cannabis industry are advocates of the plant. They've been around the plant in particular for a very long time, or maybe they're just really good with growing things. And now they're just transitioning those skills. Um, I come in from it, uh, easy for me to say, from a different angle, right? From a business side, uh, and then trying to find ways to apply uh, skills, lessons learned, uh, things like that, into an industry that I think is interesting. Man, tough time talking today that I think is interesting, that I think is fun. Uh, I think that's something we overlook a lot, by the way, in this industry. Is it's, it's a fun product. Let's be real, right? Alcohol has figured out a way to sell fun. Uh, and as cannabis becomes more adult use, we'll probably get there. Uh, so I work on that, is, which is one of many things I do. I do uh, host my own podcast, a couple of them, on a recently launched new, I guess, media network, for lack of a better term. We started our own network uh, some people that I know. So Wayward Media is live, uh, wayward.media, find it on the web. Socially, meet, M-E-E-T-W-M, on all the different social channels that all the cool kids hang out on and post their little uh, doodads on. Who says doodads? So Wayward Planet Podcast is my main podcast. We do have, uh, we interview lots of different people. Uh, casual conversations with great guests is the tagline, but lots of different conversations, cannabis-centric, but just in general, right? Whatever interesting people we can find to be on the show. And I have a sports show called Wayward Sports. Uh, we're starting a disc golf-centric uh, show called Wayward Circles. You can see the branding concepts happening here. Uh, but there'll be other shows available as well. We have some lots, uh, a lot of great podcasts uh, we'll be putting onto the channel, a few of them already on there. So check out wayward.media. Uh, in addition to, I guess, teaching and podcasting, I do, um, I don't know, like entertaining things, right? Things in front of large groups of people, uh, odds and ends, stand-up comedy and such. Um, all of them finding uh, ways to talk, I guess, get myself out there. Uh, but I have found myself, uh, on top of that, finding ways to still use traditional business skills, uh, consulting for other cannabis companies in the legalized industry. Uh, so dipping my toes in a lot of water, some of them green, uh, but a lot of different waters, keeping uh, myself busy. So with your aspect of business and cannabis, what have you worked with thus far? Uh, what do you mean? Like what kind of companies have I worked with? Yeah. Like, have you done marketing? Have you done helping in the infrastructure of business plans and stuff like that? Sure, sure. Uh, mostly marketing. Uh, right now, there's a couple different companies. One's a, a one's a pipe company. Another one's a bag company out of Canada uh, that we've done some work for. Uh, Genius Pipe, which is out of Northeast Ohio, and Rhino Bags, uh, which is kind of a smell-proof, uh, concealed kind of bag to carry product in based out of Canada. So done some work for them. Thinking about social media posts, marketing concepts, branding ideas that you want to do, right? Uh, some of the companies have an idea where they want to start and then they find themselves one or two years in uh, really just selling to their main customers. So customer acquisition, how do we find new customers, right? Because loyalty and existing customers only go so far. So how do we get new customers to continue to buy our products and have them uh, preach about it for us, right? Have them sell it for us, have them have so much brand equity or brand loyalty that they'll tell people about it and say, this is the coolest thing I ever had. Uh, so a lot of marketing ideas, uh, you know, and I think we have a podcast on Wayward Media, monthly 
monthly marketing voyage. Um, I should have warmed up my vocal cords with this. Uh, <laughs> monthly marketing voyage uh, where we talk about marketing concepts in the cannabis industry and such. So I think that's interesting. How do you sell something that is currently federally illegal? Mm-hmm. Uh, states, for the most part, aren't exactly super thrilled about you selling it, right? There's a lot of restrictive advertising rules, even in the friendliest of states. Uh, a Colorado or East or a far West coast, you know, California, Washington, Oregon, even those states have some restrictive uh, rules regarding promoting the plant uh, and such, especially the THC side, a little bit more love or easiness in the CBD. Um, But how do you sell something that people don't really want to be sold? It's kind of a black market, but legal product where you go buy it, but it's still hush hush. Uh, You you know, even smoke shops in legal states have to say that's for tobacco only, which seems silly. If it's, mm-hmm. you, know, you can consume their product there. So it's a tough uh, thing to navigate. It's a tough water to figure out uh, how do you sell something that people don't really want to know about, right? They kind of put their fingers in the ears and their uh, hands over their eyeballs. So what has been the biggest challenge that you have found with working with marketing in the cannabis industry, like the pushback from the people or the pushback from the regulations put in place for them for what you can advertise? I think some of it is the people trying to sell it, right? So let's take a look at the people that are trying to market all these different companies uh, that are trying to get the product out there, new people coming up with products. Uh, One of the first avenues people want to hit because it makes sense uh, price point wise social media. Yet most social media, in particular Facebook, are uh, very anti-cannabis, right? You have to be very careful with the wordings that you use. Twitter is really indifferent to cannabis, but Twitter is not a great sales avenue. Uh, Instagram kind of floats in the gray waters. They do have a lot of cannabis Instagram channels, uh, Instagram influencers that deal heavily in the cannabis marketplace. Uh, advertising, by the way, maybe we'll talk about that later. Uh, the swarmy business of hiring an Instagram influencer to sell your product and the, the seediness behind it. I'm not a huge fan, uh, but it's a real thing. Um, you know, but they also, if you're an Instagram person through your direct shop, you can't sell it. So it becomes a weird like thing to navigate. So uh, a lot of people want to use social media to get it out there and post, uh, but it doesn't really help to sell it. Right. So I think that's tough. Um, And then I think, once again, some of them, in particular in Ohio, which I know better than others, uh, to do advertising things, even community events, which are allowed, it takes months of planning, right? A lot of times, regulatory boards need to approve what you're going to talk about three weeks, six weeks, eight weeks in advance. That's a lot, especially right now in today's time. A lot can happen with a community event in eight weeks. It could be canceled. You could have new uh, mandates uh, because of the pandemic that's happening. So you have to really plan ahead and then make sure it works out the way intended because, you know, you know, it just, you never know what's going to happen. So I think the pre-planning for events that may or may not happen. And then uh, the idea that social media is just my way to get it out there when really it can be very tough, both legality wise and just a mass amount of information and how do you find ways to stand out when it's just buy me, buy me, buy me all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think social media people who are putting out advertisement need to become more creative, especially as we lean towards federal federal legalization of cannabis. I think that will open up the market that maybe they can sell on their social media sites in the market on Instagram or Facebook, like you were talking about. And then at that point, it would just need to make sure that they are certified and that they're still going through the correct regulations of what is supposed to happen with cannabis through the process of selling. So I wanted to ask you though, with marketing, do you think, um, do you think what is the marketing bridging, bridging opportunity? So is it better to start in an easier market like Michigan, where there's more opportunity, more pop and mom and pop shops? Or do you think it's better to start in a tighter um, market like Illinois with big capital players? Oh, that's a good question, Hillary. Uh, Because a lot of times I think people would lean towards, you know, let's go to a place where it's easy to promote and it's easy to advertise. In a state like Michigan, which is not that far from either one of us, uh, which seems so surreal that I, we could both drive a few hours and be at a large outdoor, say, cannabis convention where they can smoke and consume. And it seems odd, right? It's like when it's so hush-hush uh, just across our borders. 
Um, so it makes sense that you'd want to go to an area that is like that, that's wide open and free. Uh, but I think I kind of like more on the Illinois angle, right? And then just areas where it's uh, newer, right? And you can stand out. It's tough though. It's tough to get started as a small fish because as you said, you have a lot of big capital players. You have a lot of money. Uh, but I think you can work the angle if you're making a smaller business of uh, the ma and pa, but in a big capital area, right? Kind of going against the man, so to speak. Um, so I like the idea of starting new. I like the idea where there's not as much competition, uh, but then selling the local community angle, right? Selling the we're not big, whether it's big pharma or big cannabis, um, you know, that's going to become a real thing. As we move forward, more and more money, you're going to have more and more companies combining. Eventually, you know, in a few years, you may see cannabis go the way of alcohol and uh, where it has to be three or four major players. And then in another, say, few decades, you'll get to what we have now in alcohol is like the craft brewery and bringing back uh, the small business, right? Alcohol started as a lot of small businesses, right? Anheuser-Busch, Coors Brewing, those were started by individuals who at the time just made like ah, beer, and then became huge conglomerates, which sucked up everyone else that was making alcohol. And then after a couple decades, we saw the pushback, and then we saw the individual craftsmanship of it. So I think uh, some of that is key, right? Selling the local angle, it probably will get big, uh, but then knowing, you know, continue to find ways to stand out or maybe look and see what is coming in the future of the industry. Um, I was just having a conversation with someone about this, right? About craft brewery uh, versus craft cannabis, right? And a lot of times craft cannabis to me is sold as uh, the high, right? THC percentage, uh, maybe even some of it, the genetics of it and the lineage, right? Those are big things. I think much like craft brewery has become these days, um, flavor, taste. And I think flavor and taste is you know, down the road, the future of the way to sell cannabis. I think at some point it gets you high, whatever that term means. That's a very subjective term, but so is drunk, right? Drunk is a very subjective term. You may take one beer, you may take six beers. Uh, it just depends. Um, so the high is going to happen, right? That's the effect of consuming the product. So selling the high or getting higher uh, only goes so far, right? At mm -hmm. some point people build up tolerance and you're like, well, now you got to have higher and higher. So I want to see sales and I want to hear more about uh, the taste and the flavor. Once again, lineage and strain and where they come from, that's very good. Uh, but I think that's still a smaller niche market. So I think that future for me is focusing on what are you delivering? Like, what's it taste like? What's it smell like? What's the uh, versus the experience? I think taste and flavor are going to come out uh, versus the experience because the end result, even though everyone feels it differently, Right. Mm -hmm. it, whether it's Delta 8 or whether it's THC or even CBD, it's all about feeling better, which is a very broad area. Uh, so don't sell me feeling better. Sell me uh, why are you unique in amongst a bunch of other products that make you feel better or feel drunk as alcohol is figured out. Right. They stop selling the no one sells the drunk at alcohol. No one's <laughs> ever like this is going to get you super trashed. Even things that are nine, 10 percent, you know, ABV beers, mm -hmm. they're not their sales pitch isn't. Drink this to get wasted. But that's the sales pitch in cannabis. High THC, get me higher. Sell me it's flavor, sell me taste. Yeah, and it's not that it doesn't happen. Clearly, it's happening. There are companies that focus on it. Uh, but I think in my experience of dealing with newer people in the industry, it is a lot about highness and where it comes from, which is great. Uh, but I think in the end result, the mass populace wants to know what's it tastes like. Because that's yeah. where – in is we're learning now with terrapines and such, which you're probably more educated on than me. Um, I mean, I think that's the big differentiator. I don't know if that's a real word uh, in the product. I like to make up words. I just make up words. I pretend they're real. Me too. <laughs> but it I, works, I right? You that... got the microphone. People have to believe you. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's interesting though, that you mentioned that because that was actually a um, conversation I was having with somebody else is that you know, you get these products that come into the dispensary and they're like mid-grade or low-grade and they're sold as like high-grade. And you don't really know what the difference is until you go to different states like Michigan or to Colorado or to Washington. And there you're able to see these individual players, mom and pop shops that really put everything into their product. And I think it would be 
kind of a disservice to the cannabis industry for only a couple of big players, like you were saying, to rise up and to be the main people who are selling because they're not worried about the consistency of their product. They're not worried about the terpenes. They're not worried about how it is once you actually get the product, if it's dried up, if it isn't like a good product to even smoke, you know, they're just worried about pumping and dumping. And I think that's something that is unfortunate about this industry, but I'm hoping that even though like Illinois, it's harder to get into the industry. I think if, like you were saying, if you do take that small angle in a big capital area, that it will have benefits to be able to have those more flavorful products. I think so. If you think about it, you know, I love food analogies. Right? Mm-hmm. You've heard me talk enough to know I love food analogies and cookies, especially. Uh, we get cookies a lot, right? You can buy cookies. Uh, I can go down the grocery aisle and there's a ton of cookies from Nabisco and other companies that make chocolate chip cookies. And they always talk about their new flavor and now more chocolatey and more chip. The end result is it's a pump and dump. I love that term, right? They make a lot of cookies on a mass scale. But if I'm to walk into a local bakery, right? And go see someone who made, you know, a chocolate chip cookie literally on the other side of the counter, right? And only made a dozen of them at a time and you get what you get till they're sold out. You know, that's a better cookie, right? You know, it's going to taste better. And you know, I don't know if made with love is the right term for it, but there is more into it, right? And you also have the ability to communicate with the person who bought it. Um, It's tough, right? We are in a world where mass sells amazons walmarts things like that so we're in that and people like cheap and the problem and here's the biggest issue with local and ma and pa uh, is you don't have the ability to get cost as low you don't have the ability to make millions of cookies and uh, have the buying power of buying ingredients in at a mass scale that your cost can be a lot cheaper you have to buy uh, a bag of chocolate chips right you have to buy that and make some so uh what you have to lose in price because you're always going to be more expensive you have to make up in connection right in connection to the customer and treating them uh you know like they are an individual it's a hard balance um you know it can be tough a lot of small stores struggle to stay in business because the end result is people want convenience uh but i think cannabis isn't there yet maybe because we're not mass delivered we're not sold on amazon do you think uh because i know you're a big fan of you know a lot of different aspects we're talking about Uh, Do you think if cannabis was sold like on Amazon, right? Like, do you think if it was sold like that, take away some of the age restrictions that it would, uh, well, obviously more popular, that it would destroy small businesses, like small cannabis, ma and pa, like growers? Um, Or do you think they'll always be kind of the small grower, even if it does go super mainstream? That's interesting that you asked that because even though Amazon is a wide platform for everyone to buy everything, they still have individual companies that are on there. So they still have to apply in order to sell their products. And you still have Walmart and different stores that are still in business and different mom and pop shops that are still in business that might be selling the same things as Amazon. Sure, it's more expensive than if you were to go on to Amazon. But if you also look at if you're paying for Amazon Prime, if you're paying for shipping, depending on how much tax is added to that, at the end of the day, Amazon might actually be more expensive. And with these cannabis products, I'm sure there's going to be these big players like you're talking about that are just going to be pumping and dumping on Amazon and making as much money as they can. But I think the mom and pop shops will still apply. And if they are consistent and if they are better than what these other big players are giving out there, I think they will end up getting bigger than the bigger players. And that's where they would have to keep their consistency with how their product tastes, what it smokes, the effects it gives you. Um, and I think that's going to be a challenge. And it's it's super exciting to like think about cannabis being sold on Amazon. Like, do you think that would even be a possibility someday? <laughs> I don't think so for a while, mostly because of its age restriction, right? It's the same boat as alcohol. You can't really, I mean, you can buy alcohol online, but it's not easy to do i guess uh mm-hmm. i don't know uh i mean i can't think of is alcohol sold on amazon that's a great question i don't think it's don't sold know. on amazon I, I know you can buy it from websites so you could buy like bottles of wine i've bought liquor off a site and i had to take a uh like i guess a digital image of my license and then upload it uh it has to be a little bit more re uh, regulated than click here if you're over this age box which is what a lot of websites particularly even cannabis websites and mm-hmm. alcohol or any age restricted website they're not as worried about is the person that's viewing this actually of age. They're just worrying about them clicking that to make sure, hey, I asked. And if they lied, it's on you, bro. Not my problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think so. I don't think it can be sold that way. 
at least dry flour. But, you know, as we go down the road, I think, because uh, Amazon sells CBD stuff. So maybe, uh, but I think the age restriction will hurt it. But I think you'll see CBD, industrial hemp. Um, I don't think things like Delta 8 are on there yet because I think they're too close to THC. But I'm pretty sure CBD products are available readily on Amazon, readily online. Uh, you can buy those anywhere. So maybe not the THC stuff for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, but it would be interesting. It would be interesting to have that happen. Just so the Amazon box and it's got like, you know, bags of uh, infused gummies in there. And you're like, that's awesome. But the reality is I, you're not going to need Amazon, right? Delivery um, service is going to be, I don't know if it's mandatory yet. Uh, it's tough in cannabis, but it's starting to catch up in alcohol. And I think cannabis will quickly follow thanks to COVID. I mean, not a lot is thanks to COVID, but uh, the delivery boon, right, uh, is going to be a part of that. So I think you will have, uh, and other states have delivery services now. They're very small, right? States like New York and stuff like you have these things, uh, but not on a mass scale. Mm -hmm. Someday, I think someday you will. Someone's going to come out with a way to get it, especially if it's descheduled. That'll help. Right now, it's really tough with its schedule class. If it becomes descheduled, um, I think so. I think you'll see some of that uh, because I think it takes away a lot of the people's worries uh with its federal illegality do you think with delivery systems we in the future will lean more towards um like the flying drones that can deliver packages and stuff like that instead of actual people going back and forth to cut costs probably i think most things will like i i don't think humans humans always have a place because we're always responsible for fixing the machines right automation is great uh, i don't see skynet or some other ai taking over the world just yet i've spoken with enough uh, artificial intelligence uh, folks on the Wayward Planner podcast to know we're a very, very long way, uh, none of our lifetimes, um, and we'll probably destroy the machines anyway, right? Of course, look at society. We'd probably just freak out and destroy them anyway if they started to take over. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think uh, absolutely you'll find a way where a lot of it is deliverable. Uh, I think there's issues like FAA regulations and things like that as far as flying drones that often. And I don't know if any of us want to hear the constant of a drone above our house like all the time i'm already pretty annoyed with the amount of trucks that go down my street we get an amazon prime truck we get a fedex truck we get a ups truck uh you get private uh courier drivers now with all these different amazon flex programs and things that you don't even need a, a, a registered vehicle right someone randomly would just pull in your driveway like who's this and they drop off like a bag mm -hmm. uh things like that so i think we'll get there uh but i think for the most part we'll probably still be humans involved in the process uh but the reality is drones would also be safer too right humans steal drones don't uh maybe more like uh like robot drones that like drive like vehicle drones i don't know if you have those yet uh autonomous driving vehicles that deliver cannabis right you just pull out to the door and there's this little, little tray that comes out and gives it to you and, like <laughs> takes your money back something like that uh i would hate that to really wrap that all up i'm not ready for drone delivery find it loud and annoying as i've gotten older uh, i like my silence uh so maybe not yes and no is a super non-answer answer are they working on technology to make the like helicopter wings softer and kind of like um i guess like as silent as a hummingbird's wings like how fast they can go and they can still fly around but you don't hear them i don't know that answer but i bet you they will right at some point much like uh, the jet, uh, you know, went from our plane, went from the Wright brothers and propellers that you had to like crank up to jets, which are still loud. But uh, I think some sort of propulsion system inevitably uh, will take place uh, as part of the drone like revolution. Um, and then maybe then it'll be more commonplace, but still it's just going to be a bunch of stuff in the air and people flying them and they're going to be crashing into each other. And then you're going to have your product fall over the place. So I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon, uh, but technology has a way of increasing at a rapid rate right now. So uh, nothing, I think, these days surprises me technology-wise. Probably years away, decades away, but maybe, maybe in our lifetime. Okay. So there are a lot of big players in this industry. There, You can see in Florida how it's completely capitalized by people who have a lot of money. But do you think that even though we have these different states with different opportunities, is it better to start as a small or big, um, just like if you're doing growing or maybe dispensing or if you're infusing, is it better to start smaller or bigger in the cannabis industry 
and if you have an idea based on state or just in general? Well, it's interesting because it's easier to get noticed the bigger you are. If you are, have the ability to be a multi-state operating company, you're obviously much more likely to get noticed. Uh, your little local sandwich shop is not known by anyone but you, but a subway is known by everyone because they have buying power. So I do think uh, some company, whenever, say, advertising rules um, are relaxed a little bit more, uh, and you're able to have TV commercials, which I think will happen, right? We've already have people trying to put them out. I think television commercials, um, and that will become more commonplace. I think you already have cannabis has a lot of advertising on uh, streaming platforms, right? Whether it's podcast or YouTube, because there's not as much regulations there. So um, maybe, bigger uh, small. It's a good question. It's obviously easier to be bigger. I mean, I think that's the ob- the best answer. Uh, I just wish it wasn't true. I'm trying to find a way to make it say that, no, the smaller person will win out. Uh, And I'd love to say that's the case. I think you can be successful. Maybe that's a better way to do it. How do you define success? Because I think you can be successful as a very small business in your community, but broad mainstream success always comes with noticeability, right? Can you get yourself out there? Uh, but even if you go viral as a small store, let's say some little local store in Illinois, it's still only as good as the people that can visit it. I'm not going to drive there. I'm still going to go to the place that's closest to me because that's a tremendous far away. So I guess bigger is always going to win. I just hope that whoever wins, whoever these big companies are, are the right ones. I think that's the better question. Like, what type of companies do we have? Uh, we've learned a lot about how big companies start. Uh, we've seen a lot of successes and failures, uh, even in the more recent past with startups on a technological wave. And then 10 years, 15 years down the road from all these startups, we see a lot of bad business practices that have happened. Right? You hear a lot of HR nightmares, uh, a lot of uh, just people management because they're really smart up here. Right, They're really great ideas in the brain, and they can create all these wonderful new inventions, but they have terrible people skills. And I see that sometimes in the cannabis industry. There are people who are very, very knowledgeable about the plant and about the terpenes and about the extraction process and about the growing process or even the selling of it. Um, But their business skills in so much that their people skills or HR skills are lacking. So hopefully, if we can learn from that, maybe the tech startup boon and the companies that do manage to become the cream of the crop as long as they're run the right way. Maybe that's the better question. There are, it's always going to be big. I just hope the bigger company that wins is a is a good company, which is a that's a moral word, so it's very hard to define, but to each person it's a little bit of an individual definition. Mm-hmm. I just hope it's the right one or it's the right one or two. Uh, but money and power corrupt. I think that's an inevitable thing. So uh staying true to your focus or uh is uh my friend and Dustin likes to say having an end game, like to get out of it. Um, maybe that's the case too, right? It's, I fear the more people that get involved, the more money get involved, the big tobacco companies that start making their you know, Marlboro M cigarettes that are basically cannabis. I wouldn't want that. I just, I'd like a great success story of a small company that has good moral values is so hard to define too. It just feels good, right? It feels right. I hope they're the ones uh, that make it big. So what are some things that these companies overall, whether they're small or big, what should they avoid for bad business practices? You mentioned that earlier. Um, It's not always about the plan. First of all, uh, I'm a big advocate of if you are a leader of people, uh, you have to be free of pride and ego, right? Uh, I'm going to say a bunch of stuff that you've heard me say before, but I believe it. So I think if you are a leader of people, you have to be humble. Uh, I think that's a big part of it. I think it is about the success of the unit. Uh, I think employee management or and is a key way up there. Uh, it's not something that maybe people think about at first, uh, but how to deal with employees uh, is a big part of why some of these tech startups have suffered, right? The idea was great, uh, the people skills lacking. So how do you deal with employees? Know that you're going to have employees. You Success brings more people to work for you. So how are you going to treat them? How are you going to grow your business? Are you willing to share your ideas 
uh, with others to help the company grow so that you don't have to uh, do all the work, right? The whole goal of being successful is really to work less. It's a really, really odd equation. You have to work your tail off to get really successful, but the end goal is to sit back and reap the rewards or work in a way that you define, right? You can still work hard. You can do those things, but to not be a holden, so to speak, to a particular person or customer base. So employee skills, right? I think that's a big part of it. Uh, financial management. So why do most businesses fail? Uh, finances, right? When to spend money, where to spend money, why to spend money, uh, those types of things. So as you get a lot of money and you can make a lot of money in the cannabis industry, uh, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to reinvest it? Um, you know, are you going to put it all to look shiny, right? Because, uh, uh, you know, a shiny painted pig is still a pig. Lipstick on a pig? Is that what that, what's the metaphor? Is it like lipstick on a pig? It's still a pig? I don't know. I think something so. Like that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not good uh, with those things. So something like that, right? Uh, so uh, yeah, I think employee management and financial management, uh, two big areas uh, to think about. And then just understanding the potential future, right? Being stuck, as we just talked about earlier, uh, in the high THC world, understand where the industry is going, right? And being able to continually uh, think about what's next. That's the other part. I think people that have one successful thing uh, want to do that thing very well, but someone else is going to find a way to do that thing faster, cheaper, uh, before you can probably do it to your scale. So new ideas too, right? Don't be stagnant on one big thing, but definitely dealing with employees and dealing with your wallet uh, are two areas that really i would concentrate on which by the way none of those are about the plant right because the plant is the plant uh so ways to uh deal with the back end stuff so what is something that people can do to break their own mental barriers if they are having a hard time being humble or being free of ego in order to lead a successful a successful company that is a unit and they are good at employee management uh find yourself some time to spend doing what your lowest, your your most entry-level person is doing, right? I uh, I used to work for someone who uh, at least once every two weeks, uh, and this was in a retail-based operation, would go work the sales floor, right? Work the cash register, not like with a tag that said owner, uh, but just that said name. And just stand there and work just like anyone else. Uh, those types of things I think are important. Stay humble, right? So Talk to your staff, realize what they're going through, um, kind of like an undercover boss kind of thing, but with all, all the weird schmaltzy sentiment at the end and the bad, terrible mustaches and costumes. But that kind of vibe is important, like forgetting what it's like to be the entry-level person, because as you succeed, uh, you're going to find your roles and responsibilities and tasks that you have to do on a daily basis are going to uh, alter. Uh, and you get farther and farther away from where you started. Once again, you start to forget what it was like to be that person just starting out because you do have bigger problems to worry about, right? With uh, success comes different sets of problems. So you're still going to have things to deal with. So it can be hard sometimes to remember what it was like on day one uh, or day three or the first year that you did this. So finding ways to work those entry-level positions or at least communicate with them on an open level to see what it's like. Um I also am a big fan of, once again, giving credit uh, to ideas that maybe you had to others, right? So if you have that ability to uh, work with your team and any new idea you have, uh, you know, constantly just listen to them and give them credit for the idea. Let them be the ones that bring forth. Uh, a lot of you, you know, this is employee stuff, right? So dealing with them, I think, can keep you humble. The more you separate yourself from your employees, uh, I think that tends to make you forget what it's like. And I, you don't want that environment where people are freaking out when they come on the sales floor or the managers there like, Oh my God, the boss is here. Straighten up your tie, uh, stand straighter. You know, like that's not what it's about. Like it should never be that it should never be, uh, when the boss is there, we have to do something different than what we did. It should always be the same thing. Uh, and that should be the expectation for you as an owner or a manager or, or leader of people and, uh, on the entry level person side. Right. So, uh, I think stay humble, find ways to stay humble, stay involved, uh, and then make sure you're looking at the future, right? Make sure you're not stuck in your own rut. And the other point that you said, financial management, 
is something that's really difficult in the cannabis industry. It's hard to get support from banks. It's hard to get investors. Do you have any advice for someone who is seeking financial management in terms of getting loans or even just dealing with finances in general? Well, um, the truth is it's hard right now. Uh, I, if I had to make an off-the-wall suggestion, uh, it's continue to deal with your Congress people, right? So continue. Uh, it's not exactly the fastest route, uh, but the reality is uh, the more that you can uh, talk to uh, your representatives, whether it's your Senate uh, or your congressman or a local level, uh, you know, the more they see their constituents need legalization of cannabis, descheduling of it, right? That's the biggest thing. If we can deschedule cannabis to off of one to three, a lot of our financial issues go away. You're still going to have some of the stereotypes. You're still going to have banks who don't want to work with you. Uh, but some of the biggest red flags or reasons they give you, like federal insurance coverage for their money, go away. So the long-term but best solution is to help get it descheduled and or uh, acts like the SAFE Act passed, right? So get these things that help allow states to regulate finances on a state level like cannabis is, and it takes it away from the federal level. So it's not a quick answer, but the reality is that's probably our best case scenario. Uh, otherwise, you know, if you're just getting started out, uh, think about, you know, there's opportunities out there uh, for different, you know, cannabis companies. There are people who are looking to invest right? Whether it's venture capitalists or angel investors or people who have been successful in cannabis, uh, particularly if you are from a protect uh, a protected minority class, whether it's gender or race or orientation. Um, there's a lot of opportunities out there, not great ones as far as like ownership, but people trying to help people like them get started. So uh, keep researching, keep paying attention, keep Googling, keep thinking outside the box. I know two people who have uh, got some funding for their cannabis company outside of a cannabis, say, uh, funding opportunity, right? They still pitched to them. It was some different pitch competitions they went into, uh, but they said, why not cannabis? And, you know, if the product itself is good, uh, particularly if it's ancillary and doesn't deal with the plant, in their case, it's apps, right? Software is software. Uh, so if it's a good idea, you know, maybe that's the case too. Or if it is software, look into, once again, other grants, other type of money available strictly for software development. It doesn't matter what the app is about. Uh, so something like that uh, could be an interesting avenue to uh, look at. Okay. What do you think is the most difficult part of the cannabis industry? And what is the easiest part? The most difficult. Well, I mean, our cop-out answer is that it's illegal, right? It's federally legal. That's kind of the, the chief answer to that question. It's federally legal, so that makes all of this uh, very difficult uh, to do. But if we're going to narrow it down a little bit, I think it's people that um, trying to separate the plant from the business side, right? Uh, I'm thinking of this answer on the fly, so this is not a well-thought-out idea, but we'll make it work. Uh, uh, I think a lot of guests should be honest with that. They just say things and they're really just making it up on the spot. Uh, and you're supposed to sound like some expert advice. I'm just making this up as I go. Uh, but, uh, I think I <laughs> lost track where I was going with that, which happens sometimes. <laughs> um, the plan itself is great. Uh, we talk a lot about the plan and I think it is, uh, a big part of it, but separate yourself from the plan a little bit, right? The terpenes, the flavor, some of those things we talked about in the beginning, uh, which, Flavor profiles uh, have nothing really to do with the plant, and they do at the same time. So uh, get away from thinking about this as a product that makes people high and think about other ways uh, that it can get out there. Um, and then be careful, by the way, when you're doing that to promote it as a cure-all, as those type of things, right? Uh, I think I like the recreational market. I'm a big fan of the adult use market because I think it um, it should be more fun, right? I think the, the adult use market takes itself very seriously. So I think it should be more fun. Uh, the best part, I mean, maybe one of the best parts about working in cannabis is the fact that A, I mean, you're working in cannabis. It's a fun product. Uh, it's new. I think that's very exciting. So I think if you can tap into that, it's a very new thing. I mean, I know it's been around a long time, the plant itself, and we've uh, people have been consuming cannabis, you know, ages now, centuries and centuries. Uh, legalized cannabis still pretty new though. Uh, adult use cannabis, even newer. It's only seven years uh, from the time that we're recording this. Uh, 
I'm assuming people will be listening to this for decades, Lily, and stay in power. I have for you. Uh, okay. So uh, I'm, I, you know, I always got to be hopeful, think positive. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a fun thing to work in. It's a fun industry. So find new ways to make it fun. I think that's a, a part that's both overlooked and should be the best part about it. It's a cool industry, right? It is a job. A job is a job, but it's a cooler job than, you know, other jobs that aren't as cool. I don't want to put any one specific job out there to make them feel bad, but it's a fun thing. It's a fun industry. Uh, so have a little fun with it. Uh, that would be my advice. And I think it's, it's a lot better because you can have jobs that people are maybe like, oh, this is boring and you can bring it to the cannabis industry. So for example, like maybe not everybody likes accounting, but people who love accounting love it. And what if they loved cannabis too? Well, you could be an accountant in, in the in the cannabis industry, or you can be an HR person in the cannabis industry. But something I wanted to ask you is what do you think are the dangers of the cannabis industry being so new? Or what are the positives? Because it opens a lot of opportunity. Well, the dangers are, uh, I think, and this is what I fear down the road at some point is we focus on the higher THC in particular, uh, you know, extracted goods. Uh, mostly edibles. I think oils, because you consume them, any sort of concentrate that you consume, whether through a pen or through a dab break, you're still lighting and, and, and inhaling and then exhaling. And so you can control your high. I think one of the biggest dangers is going to be extracted goods uh, in overdosing. So I'll put that in, you know, I don't use some air quotes there. Overdosing is a great area, right? You have a heroin overdose or something which could be fatal. We haven't had uh, a fatal cannabis overdose yet. I won't be shocked if it happens, right? I mean, just long-term, if you think about how much, you know, the higher THC flower that we get, and then we extract that, which is going to make the oil even higher. And then you have a lot of new people coming into it. And if someone new, uh, particularly with an underlying health condition, would consume, say, a thousand milligram candy bar without knowing how much cannabis is in there, it could cause heart failure, or some sort of other, you know, internal organs to shut down, not a doctor, not a scientist, but it makes sense, right? Something that puts you people can take too many sleeping pills, and it can suppress the movement of your internal organs so much uh, that it leads to an accidental death. Same concept, right? You could have, I could see this, right? Because I think if anyone's ever had a really high potency edible, uh, you get a deep sleep, and it takes you to a spot. So I think the race to create the highest possible good can be, you know, potentially dangerous. And I would also say, uh, once again, I think extracts is always my big red flag. I'm a giant fan of edible consumables, uh, but I don't like, you know, the kind of taking every sort of item off the shelf, the cereals and things and making them edible and using the same logos. Uh, I think you got to be careful, right? I know that there is a parental responsibility. I'm a big advocate of that as a parent uh, who consumes cannabis. You know, you got to take care of your stuff. You got to keep it locked up. Um, more and more products that look like fun candies uh, is going to lead to a media war. So the other negative side of this is the media, even if that person uh, that we just talked about would say pass away from um, too much cannabis, they're not going to mention the underlying health factor. They're never going to say that, you know, they're going to say person A consumed cannabis uh, now overdose. We have our first cannabis overdose. So I think that's uh, a scary part of that. So I would be wary of that, you know, going forward, just that growth, right? We're going to grow quickly and rapidly. Uh, And my other fear would be, and I'm always focused on the negative. I'm so sorry. These are all the bad parts, uh, is fast growth is going to lead to uh, shady people with shady product. You know, we've seen so much good product out there on the streets. And I think the only time, or out there in legalized stores, uh, and the only time you find say substandard product right now is, you know, on the street, some brown frown or something like that. But you're eventually going to get a market for budget cannabis, right? You're eventually going to want someone who wants the dollar store version of cannabis. Uh, So we are going to have to find a way to make that price point a little lower, right? Price points very high in cannabis right now, uh, particularly adult use. Uh, So that part, that part's very difficult to, we got to bring it down. Uh, without finding a way to sacrifice quality. But you have that in all markets. We don't seem to have that in cannabis as much. I know we have some lower, but everyone's striving for the highest grade. Uh, but I can go buy uh, you know, a PBR for 99 cents uh, in a 16-ounce can or some sort of crazy IPA for $4 in a 16-ounce can. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, I think you need both, right? I think it, think of the budget stuff, uh, but make sure it's not, you know, it's product is good. I think you're going to have people are going to get in for the quick buck. I feel like you're going to almost have, you know, if you buy it back on the street in the day, uh, you'd have to worry if it was like oregano or if it was mixed with other just random herbs that were tossed in there. Uh, I fear as we try to get budget cannabis, uh, you're going to have some of that too. So the degradation of the product could be a potential concern going forward. It's all negative stuff though. None of that's positive. There's lots of good stuff to come mm-hmm. too. Uh, you know, just... And with every industry, like you have wine snobs, you have alcohol snobs, and you even have bud snobs. And, and you sure. can particularly see that with the bud tenders who are serving, they know what the best product is. And they're just looking for, like you said earlier, people care more about lower prices. Like if you're going to Walmart or Amazon, then like higher products, why does it make it that higher product and why it's more expensive? Something I wanted to circle back to when you were saying um, the dangers of extracted goods and overdosing is that with all of these companies pushing for the THC levels to be higher than ever before, I think we should be focusing more on the terpene profiles and putting regulations and more knowledge out there for people to know, like, this is the dose that you should be taking, start low and slow. That way you don't overdose and have something fatal happen from pre-existing conditions messing with like a thousand milligrams of THC. That is terrifying. Like someone who can handle that, sure, go ahead. But someone who's just starting with a heart condition, like you explained, that's terrifying. Yeah. And it is, you know, it's because of a lot of it is the edible format, right? Same with alcohol, Like alcohol obviously can kill you. uh, But in order for me to even say, like, say you take a liquor, uh, like a fifth of Jack Daniels, I still have to physically drink it. And at some point, my belly might be a little full and I got to stop drinking. Right. And so it causes an effect, a physical effect on your body as you're consuming it. The same with smokable cannabis, whether it's concentrated or dry flour, you still have to smoke it and you get a much more immediate effect similar to alcohol. I start drinking a couple shots. I'm going to feel tipsy, right? I'm going to feel it fairly quickly. And now my body, I mean, I can keep going obviously and overindulge, but my body is sending clear signals of stop consuming. The problem with edibles is you go from zero to about 6,000 very quickly, right? And if you don't understand a five milligram, 10 milligram, you get the whole chocolate bar and you don't understand the snapping off of a corner, you know, the sizing. So, uh, I, you know, that's going to be an issue. So if I, I'm always worried about the edible marketplace, just because when it really goes mainstream, you're going to have people pushing it and you're going to have people who don't understand the instant onset effects. The problem is education. I mean, only gets you so far, right? We have every alcohol company has to have don't drink and drive as part of their campaigns, right? That's the way they can advertise drinking and driving. Hasn't stopped, right? Every phone company says don't text and drive. That hasn't stopped. Mm-hmm. So every cannabis company is going to say, don't eat the whole candy bar. It's never going to stop. So do we need to people proof them, right? Do we need to find a way to do that to limit sizes? And there is some argument that could say, well, it seems unfair to limit the size. I should be able to buy what I want. I'm a responsible person. Uh, but I do worry that as cannabis gets more mainstream, you may see federal regulations to limit, in particularly edibles. Uh, I think that'll be the biggest one. Uh, the amounts or the sizes and such, because it can be dangerous, uh, and we have to protect people from themselves. Because, I mean, but it's actually, you know, you say that it's a catch twenty two because there's the whole, you know, people are allowed to make choices. It's a tough call, right? It's really tough. But if anything, if we've seen in this last year, right, you know, despite warnings and things that are out there, people are still going to choose what they want even if it is a not a medically backed opinion so it's going to happen uh so you know is it on the cannabis company to make sure that the product is safe for the customer you know probably not but could cannabis companies do a better job of saying not my problem maybe right maybe and for some solutions, could we see in the future, like individual packagings, maybe we have a hundred milligram candy bar in just one, or like the gummies, like how they're individually packed. You have like a whole jar of it, but they're just their own little pieces. Could you see something like having maybe how, when you get a candy bag and it has like the individual chocolates wrapped up, so then you can give out like on Halloween, but instead in the cannabis industry, could you see something like that? 
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And I mean, once again, I'm sure those products exist out there, and there's all sorts of individually wrapped things. Uh, but I think much like it's taken us a long time in any food product to understand serving size, right? Have you ever eaten, um, like I ate a whole jar, you know, you ever like eat a whole jar of something and look at this calorie into, you know, oh my gosh. Uh, the calorie information on the back and you're like, Oh, that's not bad. I only ate about 200 calories, even though I picked out. And then you notice the small, uh, container is actually four servings. <laughs> oh, I just ate a thousand calories. <laughs> We've all had that moment, right? Where you're just like, it's just, I had this bag of oiled peanuts once, and it wasn't a very big bag. It was just like a small kind of single serving bag, but it was three servings in there. And it ended up being like 1,500 grams or something. I was like, oh, my God, I didn't know. I just looked quickly. Uh, so I think maybe something like that, working on educating customers on how to read the labels, making the information much bigger, right, like really big and obvious uh, some companies could do. So something like that, educating them, making it more customer proof, uh, for sure. Uh, and people will do what they do, but I think we could probably do in the industry a better job of making it easier for them and being okay with that. I think there's some pushback to say, like I said, not my problem, but accept that role, right? Help make better cannabis consumers in, in 30, 40 years from now is we're federally legal. Probably it's not going to be as much of an issue, but this transition period, it's going to be interesting to see. And I'm sure back in the day, these alcohol companies were putting pushback of like, that's not my problem. I'm just giving them alcohol. So it's, it's evolutionary where we have these products that are safe for adults to consume, but you also need to make sure that you are still directing the adults for the safest way to consume, which you were talking yeah. about. No, it's true. And if you want to take a look at that, I mean, alcohol, once again, we talk about it's a liquid. So your belly fills up. And so it's your body and your brain and your body have physical reactions to say I'm full. But look at what happened um, with Four Loco, right? So now you had a product, and this is a few years ago when Four Loco had both alcohol and extreme caffeine. You know, it was actually the government had to step in and said, you're giving them so much caffeine, which tricks the brain to say, I'm still wide awake. And then you're giving them so much alcohol and it becomes too much at one time. So they did step in and say, you know, we need to do, this is too much for the body to consume uh, because it tricks it there, so to speak. Um, so, yeah. And I think there is new technology being developed for edibles that when you consume them, they actually take about 15 to 30 minutes to hit. I'm not sure if that's nanotechnology or something else, but I remember hearing about it from someone. And I think that would be a lot better in the terms of when you said it is dangerous to take an edible, you wait like an hour and a half to three hours for it to kick in, depending on if you ate anything, how you slept and all these different factors. And to be able to take an edible and have it at hit you at the same rate as taking a tincture or smoking, I think that would be a lot better in terms of dosing. That way people aren't getting impatient. Like, okay, when's it going to hit? Is it going to hit? Is it strong enough? And they're like, oh, I don't feel anything. And then they take more and end up two high hours later. Yeah. And the other part is understanding the end times, right? That's something that, uh, you know, you want to take a look at any sort of pill, right? Big pharma, they all have, uh, this pill every four to six hours. They've kind of figured out because they're able to do enough research on it, how long it lasts in your body. Uh, and as edibles aren't as regulated as big pharma, it can last an hour. Uh, it can last 12. <laughs> and it can just go on all day and you're not really sure, which also, once again, makes it difficult. So uh, I think more scientists, more people getting involved to understand. I think that's the other part we lack too, right? The endocannabinoid system and how our body reacts to cannabis. We're not very educated on that. We're learning about it and you know about it and I know about it because we're around people, but outside of that circle, not a lot of people are familiar with the ECS and how it interacts with the body and THC and CBD. So once we can have better legality, we can have more people study the effects of it. More people will be honest with your doctors. Here's something. Uh, if you want to help the cannabis industry, tell your doctor that you smoke cannabis or consume cannabis, right? Because they may have, you may have issues that the cannabis is causing, even if you don't want to admit it, uh, that your doctor can help diagnose. Or it could be part of the problem when something's wrong with you. You have to take a look at every potential thing that you're putting into your body, right? So uh, I think it's good to inform your doctors and it's protected by HIPAA and those things that you do consume cannabis, like be honest with them. So they know everything that's going into your body. Don't think, well, it can't be the cannabis. We're going to see that by the way, we're going to see more and more. I fully believe this more and more 
people or problems caused by cannabis. It doesn't want to, and not in a negative way, well, maybe, but as people are more honest with it, like it can't be, it's not a miracle, right? Putting something into your body, consuming smoke is obviously not great for your lungs. Putting anything into your body that alters its uh, original state has to do something. I don't know what, and I don't know if it's a negative, but it has to do something. Right. I mean, you put too much soda in your body, it causes a reaction. So you put too much cannabis in there, which isn't necessarily attended for you. Something's going to happen. So and I think people look the other way on that. They deny that or uh, those things. But at some point, you know, you'll see some of that. That's OK. I think that's OK. Right. I think if there are dangers, you'd want to know about them. Yeah. Uh, in that case, let me ask you a question. It's something mm-hmm. I was thinking about earlier and I totally forgot. Uh, when it comes to branding, I like to run this idea by people uh, that I talk to in the cannabis industry. Uh, right now, the focus, particularly with people who are hardcore advocates of the plant and such, is to sell it, as I said, by genetics, by THC, by the strain, uh, which there's a ton of strain names, and they're all so confusing. They don't help. What would you think if we just sold cannabis, if we really marketed it as uh, like you know, feel good, feeling different, feel tired, right? Just kind of based off mood or like categories, like three or four main categories versus all these different strains and lineage. And you could have the hardcores who will know uh, that's where it's from and such. You know, this is oh from, you know, this this strain and these are the terpenes. Uh, but I could see a future where we have, you know, taste like banana makes you, gives you energy, right? Banana energy, right? So you have the terpene in there without all the scientific names uh, or tastes like lime. You don't have to say it's limon in there, right? But it tastes like lime, makes you sleepy. That's an indica with, you know, uh, the certain type of terpenes. But I think cannabis is a confusing sell. I think it's a hard sell because all the people that are selling it now want to promote lineage, cultivar names, uh, sativa, indica, the THC percentage. I want energy. Uh, relaxation, right? And flavor taste. I think just two or three words. Do you like that idea as someone who's, uh, you know, more of an advocate of the plant knowledgeable, or do you think we should always focus on uh, the strain names and stuff like that? It's interesting that you asked that because a company I'm thinking in particular, 1906, they have products that have love, energy, sleep, relaxation, and they guide it towards these particular feelings like, like you're talking about. But I think what's maybe potentially dangerous with that is that every terpene affects each individual differently and each amount of THC and CBD affects everyone differently. And that's where I think that we should still have all of these things added and and talked about is yes, this is the THC level. This is the CBD level. These are your phytocannabinoids and this is how it could affect your body. I think that we should have those feelings of feel good, just kind of there and like sleepy that way people can gauge that. And on Leafly, it actually has that gauge where I think that's really helpful for the strain and based off of the reviews that they're getting. But I still think it's very particular to each and everyone's individual body. And that's where the development of science, I think, is going to go really far for cannabis and just being able to like talk more openly with your doctors and also keep journals, I think is the most important part of consuming cannabis because you find like your particular alcohol that you like drinking, like say you're a whiskey person or, or you're a tequila person, but even with tequila, there's still a bunch of different types of it. There's, um, reposado. There is, um, I can't think of all of them off the top of my head, but there's different types of it that makes you feel different ways and, and gives you different flavors. So I think that it is still important that we are mentioning all those things, but overall saying, Hey, this is how it could make you feel, but it's different based off of your body chemistry. I mean, with this marketing, though, I mean, CBD, right? Mm -hmm. Take a look at CBD. CBD only sells it. No one, I mean, there are people who know that CBD is similar to THC and that it has like strain names uh, in those things, but that's not at all how CBD is marketed. So I think you can have both, right? I think it's a marketing principle to say uh, love, uh, sleepiness, relaxation, energy, um, but it's the same thing as anything. It's an energy drink, right? An energy drink is sold as something that gives you energy, but there are ingredients uh, on the label to let you know what's inside of it. Some have thousand grams of sugar, some have zero, right? So those are consumer choices. So I think cannabis should be, and I think it will be successful. I think the key to making it more mainstream is to sell it like CBD, 
in that it an emotion that you hope or a, a feeling or a mental state that you hope the person who consumes will feel. You can't guarantee that though. You can't guarantee that uh, you know, people will say, I drink a Red Bull and I don't feel anything. Right? Some people just don't feel those same things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't market it that way. But as you said, uh, then further education or have an ingredient label, right? This energy uh, sativa, this energy candy bar contains, you know, a strain that is, uh, you know, and then you can list all the details and information that's sativa heavy. Uh, the other part you mentioned is something I'm terrible at but have really come to understand in this last couple of years as you get more, as you get more legal cannabis. Because at first you just took the product you got in your baggie and you were happy. Mm-hmm. As you get more, you start to understand more of how it makes you feel. And I went through a time frame just recently. Gosh, darn it, man. I was always, I felt like way more on edge than I used to be. And I just, I didn't understand it. Uh, and I just, for like this month, two month period, I was really ramped up and freaking out up here and i'm not typically i'm a very like you know anxiousy person i guess or fidgety person but usually i'm not nervous or anxious about things so fidgety is one thing uh, nervousness is not something i'm used to and i found myself dealing with that uh and then uh, i happened to get a new set of product right a new set of cannabis i ran out of the one got a new strain and i was feeling better and it didn't even occur to me till about a month into that particular product that I think it was the THC. And so I went back and looked at the strain or the cultivar I was consuming, found it on the place like Leafly, saw that it is a very high kind of energy one. And then the one I was currently consuming, uh, according to user reviews and stuff. And as you said, it affects everyone differently, but much like everything, you know, you have a similar response. Coffee hits everyone differently, but it still typically gives you an upper, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so I realized that was the problem. And I think that's another thing too. Like as you get more products uh, that you said, that type of education, and then it's on to the people who consume or who make the products to make sure that, you know, relaxation, those strains are always going to be things that probably aren't anxiety ones, right. That fill your head. So uh, a little bit of both. So just to wrap this up, this episode, what advice do you have for people in that are getting into the cannabis industry that are interested in the industry, what would you say to them? Uh, right now, there are people uh, beside you trying to get into the cannabis industry. Right now, there are people beside you, and I don't mean you, Lillian, but it could be you, it could be me, but you is the person who is thinking about getting into the industry. Uh, there are people doing things to get involved in the industry, simple as registering a social media handle. Uh, so much like, and we'll steal another company slogan here, uh, just do it or whatever it is, do something. So people are doing things right now. They're making and they're starting their journey. Uh, you know, uh, I know you know this speech, Elaine, but uh, ideas are just that. They're just something that sits up in your head that's fun. And lots and lots and lots and lots of people, I have them, Lillian has them, all the other guests who have been on the show have, have them. Every guest in the future is going to have them. We all have great ideas. Uh, but taking that idea, right, and pulling it out of the thin air that exists above you and putting, you know, plans on paper, right, that's a big part of it. So do something. There are a lot of dreamers who sit back and say, oh, I can't make it. Uh, I don't think so, right? Try something. Uh, so get out of your own way. If I had to come up with the first piece of advice, just get out of your own way and start uh, start something because uh, it's never going to happen unless you try. Right? You may fail. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but it's an opportunity to learn. You have to do something. Uh, and I think the other part then is to just educate yourself in whether it is the Cleveland School of Cannabis, but I'm indifferent to be honest with you. I probably shouldn't say that. Uh, but educate yourself on, you know, past mistakes of other industries, other vice type industries, even if you're focused on medicinal. Take a look at cigarettes, take a look at alcohol uh, and what their journeys have been. Uh, take a look at sugary drinks and uh, fatty foods and what their journeys have been, things that we once thought we could just consume with reckless abandon and they'd never be bad for us. And lo and behold, once science gets involved and once we have a better understanding of our bodies, we realize, hmm, maybe I shouldn't drink a gallon of Mountain Dew every single day because uh, that could have an adverse effect on me. Uh, even though Fred Flintstone sold us Winston cigarettes in the 40s, uh, maybe they're not that good for us. 
So never to put a negative on it, but I think to take a look at what past industries have gone through in the vice-based stuff, um, or even medicinal, right? There's been medicines that we thought were good that turned out to be not as great for us, uh, and learn from them. Like, And don't be uh, the person who says it has to be all good. It's very good. Focus on the positives. You don't sell uh, the negatives, but be aware of those. Like, Don't be ignorant of past mistakes of other industries that have come before you because you're not them. Alcohol once said uh, they're not cigarettes, right? Like everyone's tried to not be what they ended up being. So uh, don't be ignorant of that. That's one thing I really want. Just be aware, right? Be Acknowledge and be aware that the bad things could happen. Like some of the stuff we talked about, I feel like we talked too much negative here, but I think it's good for people to acknowledge that. Doesn't mean you sell it. Doesn't mean you focus on it, but just be aware of those things. So educate yourself on the past mistakes of all the other vice industries. Uh, that have come before you, because we will be one of them, uh, do something, right? Just do something, whether it is this or just, you know, consume the media that is about the plan to continue to educate yourself, do something, figure out some way to get started, uh, because other people will, and other people will take your idea. So uh, the sooner you can try it, the sooner you'll know if you will fail uh, or succeed. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me, BC. I had a wonderful conversation and I hope a lot of people have been able to expand their mind of thinking with this episode and to challenge what they're trying to do in the cannabis industry in terms of a business or maybe even in just regular adventures as well. So thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure having you. Awesome. It was great to talk to you.